0: And he's showing me photos of somebody going through dialysis and showing me somebody with an amputated leg and another person who's gone blind and I'm looking at this going, "This is I don't actually understand what any of this means but all I know is that I'm absolutely terrified by it.
1: The BMJ has been publishing its What Your Patient Is Thinking series, or Why Pets for short, for four years now where we try and give you a little insight into what it's like to be a patient. We've shared experiences from patients on what it's like to go through psychiatric assessment, dreading the next appointment and leaving with more questions than you started with, and being asked about your weight for the millionth time. We've heard from patients who were victims of torture in their home countries, those who are homeless or living on a boat, and people at the very end of their lives. The articles focus on aspects of a consultation which may not have been at the forefront of a health professional's mind, but can have a big impact on a patient. Many of the pieces focus on the language used, the way information is shared or not shared for others, or remembering that being a patient is only part of that person and not the whole story. I'm Emma Cartwright and I have been editing these articles for nearly a year now. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 4, which I found very difficult growing up with, so I've been involved in a lot of patient support initiatives, particularly around peer support. My background is also in health psychology, looking at how we can better support patients in managing their chronic conditions, and I'm currently studying my PhD in Singapore. So with my background and interest, I was really pleased to be able to talk to two authors of a recent WIPA article specifically looking at the language when it comes to the complications associated with diabetes. Hashtag talk about complications. Chris and Renza, it's amazing to have you guys here. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, So Renza, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Well, thank you so much for having us here. It's it's very exciting to be part of this, um, the YPIP podcast. But um, so, my name's Renza, and I live in Melbourne, Australia. I have type 1 diabetes, and I was diagnosed almost 21 years ago. Uh, I am a diabetes advocate and I'm a blogger, but I also work for a diabetes organization um, in a bit of policy and advocacy and communication. So, sort of come at things I guess from a number of angles and when it comes to language Diabetes Australia launched a language position statement eight years ago so it's, it's been a very big focus of, of my work um, in recent years.
1: Amazing that's so good it's going to be really interesting getting into the kind of language around complications something you've touched upon in the wipe it. I'm really excited to hear lots more all about that and our other member that we have with us today is Chris, which sounds really formal calling you Chris, but um, I'll let you explain a little bit more about your your alternative name, uh, Grumps.
2: Yeah, um, hi. Yeah, people call me Chris. I look over my shoulder to see that there's someone behind me. Um, (laughs) My my, my name is Chris. I've been living with type 1 for, it'll be 25 years this year, Uh, diagnosed the age of 25, so I hit. uh, This year I kind of just tip over the half year You know, living more than half my life with type 1. Everyone pretty much calls me grumps online because my online profile presence in my blog is the grumpy pumper. People ask me why. It's because I'm grumpy and I have a pump. (laughs) Simple as that. Um, I don't don't work in diabetes field in any way, shape or form. Um, Probably been online doing what people tell me is advocacy for the last six years. That's kind of built and grown been very fortunate to do a lot of things. Um, later part of the year before last, so what we're talking 2016 about October, I got diagnosed with a foot ulcer, or as it was told to me, I had a diabetic foot, which we can discuss later, the whole language <laughs> thing. Um, that should have taken six to eight weeks of treatment. Unfortunately, it ended up in a bone infection, which took 54 weeks, including 15 weeks of self-administered Daily antibiotics by IV. So, bit of a long story, but um, in all of that, I kind of uncovered that people in the community weren't talking much about complications, and that there was a lot of stigma and blame, blame associated with it around the, you know, the assumption that you get a complication because you didn't look after yourself, which um, is not true at all, and we touched on in the in the article.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's I think that's one of my kind of favourite points of, of your article is this kind of this blame and shame because you know, as somebody myself with type one diabetes, you always feel guilty if, if anything happens and that it's your own fault. So how did you kind of go from being diagnosed with this complication into to publicly talking around the world about you know what had happened? How did how did that how did you get to that point?
2: Um, by complete accident. <laughs> basically yeah I, I came home from from the podiatrist um and put out a tweet that said you know i've just been diagnosed with my first kind of uh, i had a little bit of background retinopathy but my, my first kind of complication that needs treatment i think the wording was somewhere in the lines of i'm not ashamed of it and i'm sure other people have got complications too and that was it there were it got a lot of replies, a lot of people started talking, the conversation over a few days just built and built and built. Um and I suddenly realized that you know this was this was something that needed to, to be talked about. That if we can't, you know, if we if we if we can't talk about it complications or diabetes-related complications amongst ourselves, then it's gonna be harder to actually go and talk to your healthcare professionals about it. And if you can't talk about it, you can't drive your own care, you can't get the what you need um, necessarily. Um, And actually dealing with this, especially as it turned out over, you know, 50 odd weeks, actually takes quite a lot of effort. So you need to stay motivated. And if people are using language that make you feel like it's your fault, it's hard to stay motivated. And that's on top of your daily diabetes management as well. So it was definitely an accident and things just kind of spread. We started writing pieces about it, started getting asked to talk about it. And obviously my story kind of changed and grew and carried on for, for over a year. So it kind of it kind of built off the back of that, really.
0: And I sort of, I guess, the, it was the language piece that um, that really interested me in this because, um, you know, we, we have been talking about needing to reframe the way we talk about diabetes complications. It's something that, um, you know, we really just do badly. There is so much blame and shame. And um, I think when Grumps put out that tweet and there was this overwhelming groundswell of people actually wanting to talk about it, it just showed that because so many people said this is the first time I've spoken about it, it's such a taboo topic and... um it just showed that it's clearly the way we speak about it. And we did see, even with some responses from people within the community, other people living with diabetes were saying things like, oh, well, you know, as long as you've got a low, you know, a, a really low in range A1C, you won't get complications. And we know that's not true. There are no guarantees around that. So um, making sure that we're speaking about um, things that don't, in a way that doesn't blame people or make them feel responsible for what's happened is really, really important and we want people to engage.
1: Yeah, that's so, so important and so true. And I can definitely resonate with that myself in terms of just being having the the space to be open about it. And I think that's what was amazing about your kind of campaign or movement or whatever you want to call it with the, the kind of hashtag was it just opened up the conversation, which which was really important and really, really good to see. So Renzi, you've kind of touched upon a little bit there about this kind of about the language and the the importance of it. So, what from your side, you know, how do you want people to talk about complications? What's the sort of language that you
0: think is best for people to be using? Yeah, so openly and honestly, you know, we need to remove this idea that complications are something to be ashamed about. Um, You know, people with complications are a reality for a lot of people living with diabetes, and so we should feel comfortable speaking about it. Um, So, so much of it just comes down to removing, blaming and shaming language. So, and also I think we need to take a step back because we are told so much about prevention of complications and yes, we know there is evidence to show that we can reduce the risk of developing complications, but when we use the term prevent, that's an absolute. It's like if you do X, Y, Z is not going to happen and we know that that's just, there are no guarantees in diabetes, which is one of the really unfair things actually about Living with diabetes. And I mean, this, the way that we talk about complications is also actually the way we talk about type 2 diabetes. It suddenly becomes a, well, what did you do to make this happen? And that's a really, really hard thing to have, you know, weight to have on your shoulders as well at the same time as you're trying to, um, you know, deal with a new diagnosis. So I think that really it comes down to. You know talking about risk reduction people talking about you know feeling that they they know what to do today because that's the other thing we talk about complications something that's going to happen in the future well what can we do today to to care for ourselves um and we don't we just don't do enough of that
1: yeah definitely and if you, since the kind of campaign and, and people sort of starting to talk about complications, has there been much conversation around, you know, not just the, the blame and the shame, but also people kind of seeing complications as, a, as a, a motivation or some might see it as almost like a threat as a way to, you have to manage your condition or this will happen. Have you seen much of that happening, kind of much of that conversation going on?
2: Um, yeah, a lot of people are saying the you know, the first excuse me the first time they were told about complications was in you know in a frightening way. scare tactics. Mm-hmm. I always talk about. We tend to try and educate people at the moment about diabetes related complications by telling them the end game, worst case that can happen. Rather, you know, So when we talk about foot issues, we talk about amputation rates instead mm-hmm. of talking about foot care. When people say to me, how, "How would you? You know, how do you think we should speak to children?" With, with diabetes about this. Um, for that, definitely, uh, I think you should talk about foot care and encourage good, you know, good foot checks and things like that and tell them what to look for. It doesn't have to be every day, but if they go running, you know, running around on a beach, when they come and wipe their feet, You know, if it's a small child, check the feet for them and then teach them how to do it. We teach them how to do everything else in a safe way, so what, why wouldn't we do it that way? There's no point talking about them. You wouldn't go and show them pictures of amputated feet because that's not going to do anything apart from terrify them. <laughs> um and it's just it's just ludicrous. We don't do it in other things, so why do we do it in diabetes care?
0: And I can remember the day I was diagnosed I was in you know 24 years old I there was no diabetes in my family I'm, I'm sitting opposite an endocrinologist after being told that morning that I had type 1 diabetes I didn't even know what that meant so there was no context for me and he's showing me photos of somebody going through dialysis and showing me somebody with an amputated leg and another person who's gone blind and I'm looking at this going this is I don't actually understand what any of this means but all I know is that I'm absolutely terrified by it and I can still remember that 20, 21 years later. I can still remember that rather than having been told the things about and here is what we can do for you to care for yourself as well as you possibly can. Um, and we, we had an event the other day and somebody said that they were told at diagnosis, if you develop a diabetes complication, it won't be your fault. And that just set the scene for them to actually feel that it was something that, they were, that was safe for them to speak about. And I really, really wish that that was something that was part of the complications talk from, from day one
1: yeah definitely and like one of the i think one of the really nice things about your whole journey chris is that we've literally seen this play out on social media you've shared everything your blogs all your tweets and it for me anyway it was the first time that i'd really heard or seen what actually happens if you get a complication, you know, what what are the things that you'll think about and all the different elements to that. And I think that's really empowering because we always talk about, you know, we need to be informed and how can we be informed if it's not a conversation that we're even willing to have with people.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, I think some people saw a bit too much when I posted some of the pictures. Yeah, we could have done without that. I worked out, it doesn't matter what time of day you put it out, it's always someone's meal time. Yeah.
0: We were getting those photos just in time for breakfast. That put everybody off the Wex. Yeah, but
2: but for me, in some ways, it's kind of necessary to make it real because, you know, people, and then, you know, I didn't know what, I just thought, sounds ridiculous, I just thought I had a hole in my foot that was just a bit of a big, you know, a bit of a big wound in it that was going to take a while to heal. I didn't actually know what an answer was because i would never seen one before of course you don't like say you don't want to be showing these pictures of of ulcers on day one but that and it's that's the challenge how do you educate people with enough knowledge without scaring them or making them feel sick um (laughs) but yeah the story it was it was it was strange it could have just fixed after after five or six weeks it didn't and yeah i tried to tell the story not in a, a woe is me way and i'll look at all the things i'm going through because to be honest, I don't think probably until it was all done and dusted, I realized exactly how serious it was. Um, mm. But, yeah, it was much, very much a case for me. Okay, I've got all this treatment. But as long as you, you have the right attitude to it um, and you make sure you, you, build, your health, you know, build that team around you of healthcare professionals, talk to them in the right way, ask the right questions, and help them to help you adapt whatever they need to, like the IV. You know, and I worked away from home. I couldn't take what was supposed to be six weeks off work to go in every day, ended up being fifteen, then I couldn't pay the mortgage. Um so I explained why and they went well actually in, in rare cases we will teach you to self administer, we'll put a midline in, we'll train you how to do it and you only have to come in once a week. That's exactly what happened. Uh, yeah. I, I got to um to manage like like I always say about my diabetes, I manage my diet. Yeah, my life goes on, and my diabetes has to fit around it. Was the exactly the same attitude with my foot care, without taking any stupid risks. You know, we always talked about it. We always talked about the possible impacts when I travelled. We looked at, you know, flying with all the kit, trying to get through security if it could be on the hold, and actually what backup if the if if you know, if things froze or if the IV line failed, if the midline failed, um, and we just planned around it. And it's just that open conversation. And it's, it's, a, it's a skill. Not everyone can do it. It's not easy, but hopefully it's demonstrated that, you know, you can fit this around your life and not stop your life or fit your life around it. But it also showed
0: that point, you know, to that point that I made earlier about, you know, you get diagnosed with a complication and that's the end point. Well, actually, no, it wasn't the end point. That was just the very beginning of the story for Grumps. And his life did continue and he was still able to do all that he'd worked. He travelled. He wrote blog posts, he posted revolting photos online, all of those things that he was doing (laughs) beforehand he could keep doing. And, you know, I mean, nobody wants to develop that complication, but perhaps now people realise that, okay, well, if that does happen, maybe there's a way that life does just keep going on, you know, albeit with extra considerations and extra luggage, I guess, if
2: you're travelling. I mean, one of the... Obvious thing to say, no healthcare professional wants to make you feel like that. Of course not. No. I, I, right at the end, after I'd been given the all clear of my foot, I still have being you know, lots of treatment, but it is to make sure it's okay. Um, it's being monitored more. My podiatrist said to me, I wanted to ask something. You know, I was looking through your notes from years ago, and I see, it, I see at some point you were non-compliant. Now, I didn't even know it said that in my notes. Um, so I said, I said, okay, so we need to have a chat about that. I'm already sitting in a chair, having my foot like that. You might want to sit down. And I, I explained it to her. All I did was explain it to her. I said, look, I, I personally don't like that. And I know other people don't because, to me, it insinuates that I deliberately didn't look after myself. And that has never been the case. At diagnosis, I was on uh, syringes and two, twice daily mixed insulins with thick carb loads, meter that wasn't very accurate. Life was very different then. Things changed. But I always did the best I could do with the equipment I had and the knowledge I had. And I explained this all to her. And she was genuinely, she was really upset. She said, I never, and she came back at it for a time, I, I, I'm really sorry, it's just what it said, you know. I didn't mean to insinuate that, I never would. And I will never use that word again with anyone.
0: And we've had that feedback from so many people with after um, the Y piece was published. Um, we, and, and I think the really interesting thing about that was that it's gone outside of diabetes, because obviously BMJ's reach is not just the diabetes world. Um, but You know, there was a woman who wrote a blog post saying, actually, I thought that I was speaking about diabetes-related complications in a really in the right way, but actually, perhaps I wasn't, and this has given me some things to think about. And, you know... Grumps is right. I, I genuinely don't think that there are any health professionals out there who go into work today, you know, each day saying, oh, I'm going to make a person with diabetes feel really crap about their diabetes. It's just that often this is just the, these are just the words that we've used for so long that they just become part of the rhetoric. Um, and it's not until you sort of hold up a, a mirror, I guess, and say, hey, look at how this might be making me feel, that people stop and think, uh, okay, we need to reframe this.
1: And it's really great to hear that you've had kind of health professionals engaging with this conversation with you as well so like how much have they kind of engaged in the whole kind of online conversations or blog posts how much kind of input have they had in in this whole kind of conversation around complications
2: um within the community the, the healthcare professionals that are online it is quite a small amount yeah i've been really really accepting of it you know really responded to it we've got we've now got nhs you know nhs england have now got their own language statement and it's being more widely used there's obviously room for for improvement and one thing we've noticed as we've done this and we've been to conferences things the language has got a lot better for one of of a better word uh, a lot better for anything that's diabetes related but then in the program when it comes to complications you're still talking about the diabetic foot and the diabetic eye so (laughs) Because you know the focus is there for the people that that, that look after help us with our diabetes, but then with the the more related complications, it's different teams, and they might see people with diabetes every day, but they haven't had that exposure. I think that's where the BMJ piece has really really helped, because we're always wondering how how do we get outside of our you know our our normal audience, normal bubble within the online community, and take it further. Because me talking to my team is fine, and that may hopefully have a ripple effect for the people in that clinic but that's only one small part of the UK and then one much smaller part of the globe. So, yeah, it is always a challenge, but the BMJ piece really has seen a really good response. Yeah. There's some great feedback from... Healthcare professionals that would not normally have seen it.
0: And I think, you know, the only way that anything like this is going to change is if we do engage every stakeholder in terms of diabetes. And that includes, you know, speaking with industry about the way that they talk about diabetes related complications. And it's the way that health professionals do, it. it's the way that um, health organisations do. You know, I know that in the past there have been some really questionable campaigns from diabetes organisations around complications where they, you know, isolate one part of the body and just focus on that and forget that they're, oh, actually, there. There are people attached to that who, you know, probably don't feel great having that, you know, diabetes spoken about in that way. We have to be having this conversation with everyone. So it's it's been fantastic to um, have this piece that's reached so many people because I just think, you know, it's got to be out there. We've got to be having it. We've got to have debate because it's not an issue for everyone. Some people don't think it's right or they just think it's a pointless waste of time. But, you know, being able to explain why it doesn't matter is really, I think, really useful.
1: Yeah, definitely, and I think even something I found really amazing about this whole kind of campaign is the fact that you've used the hashtag because I feel like that you know on social media now this is how a lot of these conversations are starting and it's a really great way to kind of connect with people all over the world and and as you say you know you've got your kind of your online community that you you engage with quite frequently but having the hashtag gives everybody sort of a place to go to so how have you kind of found all the use of the the hashtag and the blog? Like what what kind of been the outcomes of these all of these
2: um the hashtag was yeah it wasn't a deliberate plan it's like pretty much everything I do is an accident you, you get used to it um, <laughs> a
1: brilliant accident so, though yeah, so,
2: so it, I used it once or twice and then people started using it but yeah absolutely right hashtag is a real good kind of signpost to a meeting place where you can find lots and lots of information
0: yeah, and I think it also, you know, backing off the language matters hashtag as well, the two, you know, yeah. went really neatly together. But it has been fascinating to see, um, you know, I think there have been a couple of CEOs of diabetes organisations who have used, you know, just randomly use the hashtag in something and, um, you know, some pieces get published that, you know, are about complications and they use the hashtag, it's like this is great because hopefully someone will just click on that and then there's suddenly going to be this, whole, you know, whole body of information out there that will, you know, it is like sort of falling down a rabbit hole but there's some really, really great information in there and, um you know, hopefully, I guess what we want is for somebody who is having a really rough time and hasn't got the support and is feeling that they just don't know where to turn, maybe they might find it and realise actually there certainly is a way to get help and there are people who understand. Peer support is so important. I think that's one of the really beautiful things about using hashtag on Twitter in a community that can be just so supportive is that, you know, you've got those people there and they've got, you know, your tribe's got your back.
1: Yeah, I think what makes it great is that it's come from you two who are patients you understand, you've been through it, you've had these complications, you know what it's like, which makes it so powerful because then people can really, re- it really resonates with people because they can see themselves in you and others that are who have written their blogs uh, for you. You know, people can really see themselves in that, and I think that's what kind of opens up the conversation, which which is amazing. I think it's amazing. I think it's I, that's I
0: Yeah, I think that's really, you know, where there's, you know, that's that sweet spot is that people are saying, actually I'm feeling more comfortable about this. I wrote a piece for Grumps about um, I had cataracts that, you know, were I was developed cataracts at 28 and I remember saying to my ophthalmologist, I'm 28 years old and he, you know, we spoke about how diabetes was impacting on it and he said, look, you were probably always going to get cataracts because of family history but diabetes would certainly have accelerated it and I had them removed when I was 40. I was determined to not have to have cataract surgery while I still, my age started with a three. Um, I had so many people reach out to me and say, I thought that I was the only person who was this young with cataracts. This is something that my grandmother, you know, has. Mm. And, you know, that, that's just that thing. It's that, oh, okay, I'm not alone. There are there are others.
1: So for those people who may have never heard of, you know, your campaign or anything about complications, what would you want them to leave listening this to know? What do you want them to change tomorrow?
2: For me, the the first thing is, of sounds obvious but treat the person not the complication. Yeah. and then that leads in don't talk about the the complication or the the area of the body with with the complication or the issue as a separate entity not diabetic foot um so we did write a piece about it for for diatribe magazine um we're at a conference and i spotted and i tweeted out about it there was a session called managing the diabetic foot and all Mm -hmm. i did i put out saying i'm gonna go to this session called managing the diabetic foot Personally, I think it would be better named caring for the person with a diabetes-related foot complication.
0: kind of feel like it it sounds ridiculous when we say, you know, think of the person. It's all about person-centered care. and I sort of feel like, you know, it's such an obvious thing, but it is really critical. And I think that the other thing that's really, really important is that we remember that if there is a part of the body that does have a diabetes-related complication, um, there's so much going on in terms of how that person is feeling and how that person is thinking, and it it will never ever be about that one specific body part. And making sure you know checking in with how the person is feeling, do they need to speak with a psychologist? Do they need to talk have you know speak with a counsellor about how they're feeling is really critically important. But I think for me, most of all, it comes down to making sure that um, you know really thinking about the language that people use, and could it be seen as being something that is making the person feel judged and responsible. And I think that because I know that often we then get this pushback from people saying, oh, look, but, you know, I do have, I do see people with diabetes who genuinely don't care. You know, they run really high on 1Cs. They don't check their blood sugar. They don't take their medication. And you know what? Bill Polonsky says that everybody wants to be healthy and that is a really good foundation to start from. And I don't care how much... Whether you know you're so engaged and you're on top of everything, or if you're not, no one ever wakes up in the morning and says, "I'm going to do this." And gee, I hope I get a diabetes-related complication. People are doing the best that they possibly can with what they have available, and what they have ava- available means, you know, the medication, the technology, the drugs, the healthcare. But it also has to do with what they're capable of doing, and that changes from person to person, and it changes within each pe- person as well. So I think that just that, you know, remembering that is really, really important.
1: So thanks there to Renza Trebelia and Chris Grumps-Aldred for the article they've written, which is called hashtag talk about complications, which is also the hashtag that they use on social media. We've linked their profiles in the podcast description. So go and follow them to find out more about their campaign and how to get involved. We're going to bring you more of these stories from patients. So please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Emma Cartwright, the BMJ's YPIT editor. Thanks for listening.